All right. <clears throat> All right. So it's good to see you this morning. We probably will sing a song at the end of the message. And uh, I'd like to welcome everyone once again. <clears throat> So we begin with a, a few stories. Might be more than one, but let's start with one. Uh, keep the word success in mind. What it means to be successful, success. Making it. <clears throat> uh, some of you know, or you might not know, I was, uh, I was let go of my work. <laughs> Uh, about maybe roughly a little bit over a month ago, which in itself is a joke. But <clears throat> so w- when that happened, I decided to, you know, as part of what I was doing, I went back to a little book that I have that says, Making Life Rich Without Money. You, you can see, you know, the two of them all together. So making life rich without money. I've had this book and it's, a, it's, it's wonderful. It's a very good book to read. <clears throat> so there's a story in the book that I like to start with because that's why I want to challenge you before I go into my message. The author, the writer of the book, uh, didn't have lots of money. He made some. And... One day, he got a call from California, from a big company that said, come over, I'm going to f- give you work. And by the way, you're going to make three times as much as you were making before. So the thought of making lots of money was very, very enticing, very good. So he flew down, he lived in... Uh, Alberta. So he flew down from Alberta to California, went with his wife. And uh, <clears throat> so he said, you know, big offices with oak chairs where you sit and the office is almost like a theater. I've always, in- always intimidated him. But he sat down here and then he felt at home as the CEO was talking to him, you know, telling him he will make lots of money and he, he will be rich. <clears throat> So, and then he was thinking, yeah, it means we can buy a new house. We can at least for finally get a car that is new, fresh, the inside, smell the inside of a fresh car. And then he can get some new clothes for his wife. And uh, <clears throat> so while the interview was going on, he asked the CEO, um, how many times will I have to travel or how often will I have uh, to travel? And then there was some silence. The CEO didn't say anything for a while. He kept silent. Then afterward, he came up and said, Phil, <coughs> the question is not how often you will travel, but how often you will be at home. So, <coughs> and his wife didn't like that news, as you can imagine. So told him on their way out, you know, Phil, life is lived in chapters. 
in this chapter, where we have little children, we need you at home. So, but it was still, he said, while she was saying this to me, I was drafting my acceptance speech, and now I'm going to convince her. So we were flying back home. And we were on our way home. At the airport, while waiting, he went to the washroom, you know, just to, you go to washroom at the airport sometimes, it happens. <laughs> and while it was, he was at the washroom, suddenly, the place began to shake. He's never had any of that experience before in Seattle. So the place was shaking. And then flashes began to pass through his mind as he thought of his wife, the birth of his first child, and uh, you know, the things that... So he didn't know what was going on. Apparently, while he was there in Seattle, there was an earthquake that showed up. So when he came out, somebody in the other washroom said, were you responsible for that? He said, no. <laughs> you know, and then they said, well, it was, is it 5.0 Rita scale? Is that what they say for earthquakes? So he said, well, this registered higher in my mind. Because by the time I left that washroom, it became clear to me what was important. Because when I thought my life was about to go, images of a big house, because or whatever other things did never showed up. What showed up to me was my wife, my children, my family, the things that you know are taken for granted. So he said, as soon as I left that place, I was rushing, hoping I can find my find my wife to give her a big hug before we go under. Well, he did give her a hug, but he said I did something that I'd never done, and that's where my challenge is. He said, for the first time in my life, I scribbled down a mission statement for myself. Let me read his own mission statement. What is, what is scribble? Because I might not be able to capture it well. So he said, I scribble down a mission statement. He said, my personal mission statement. He said, I will consider myself a success when I am walking close to Jesus every day, when I'm building a strong marriage, loving my kids, and performing meaningful work. And said, he said, I knew the answer for this California guy immediately. I just told him, well, this is going to take me away from my family, so sorry, we are not coming. So the mission statement is where I'm going. He defined success for himself that allowed him to be able to, whenever he needs to deviate, at least the success was well defined. So let me ask you, what do you consider to be success for your life? I like the very first aspect that he said. He said, I will consider myself a success when I am having a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ every day. That's a very clear mission statement. A good marriage, because he was married. Some of us are not married, so that might not be in our mission statement. Working with my kids, uh, loving them. Some don't have kids, so that might not be. But I think that first aspect is applicable to every one of us. 
So I like you to think about it. Define success, what success means to you. To some it might mean when I own this or that. Or it could mean something else. I, I'll leave it there at that, at that level. But do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ on a few occasions used the word fool and foolish? Did you know that? I mean, if I walked up to you and said, you are foolish, you'd probably be upset. But Jesus used the word fool and foolish on a few occasions. Let me show you. These are all preliminary to my message. I haven't gone to the message yet. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry, this uh, hot afternoon, you might have to stay longer. So, in Matthew... Chapter 7. We don't have time to read everything, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. Jesus used the word fool or foolish there. But let's give you, let me give you the background. In Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, Jesus is teaching. And if you have your Bible marked red and black, that will all be in red. So at the end of chapter 7, it tells a story of a wise man and a foolish man. And the difference is this. The wise man builds his house on the rock. Remember this song? And the foolish man builds his house on sand. What's the difference? Both the wise and the foolish man heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wise man acted on what he heard. And the foolish only heard the word and did nothing about it. Okay? So to be foolish simply means to hear the word of God and do nothing with it. The foolish heard just like the wise man, but he did nothing with it. Oh, that was a great sermon. Wonderful. It was a good read. But the wise heard and did something with the word of God. So, a fool is a person that hears the word of God and does nothing with it. At least that's what one of the definitions that Jesus gave of a foolish uh, person. And then, <clears throat> it's another passage where he speaks to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 17. And verse 19, for example, you will see, depending on your translation, it says, you fools and blind. You fools and blind. And um, he was talking to them about knowing the truth of God's word and acting otherwise, being a hypocrite. That's essentially what he was talking to the Pharisees about. Again, the attitude towards the word of God, knowing God's word and not acting or, and doing something different. So hypocritical living, it's one of the places where he spoke about being foolish. Now in Matthew chapter 25, verse 2, and Matthew 25, verse 3, 
Again, he gave a parable of uh, the brides that were waiting, or is it the bridegroom or the brides that were waiting? Those that had lamps with oil, and the other ones had lamps without oil. And he called the ones that had lamps without oil, what? Foolish. And the ones that had lamp with oil, they were wise. When you live a life that doesn't anticipate that the Lord might come today, you live as if all that there is to life is now, and you're not preparing for the fact that he will return. That's a foolish act. That's what at least he considered to be a foolish act. And uh, I think I have one more. Which will be the core of our message in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, a man came to Jesus and said, my brother needs to give me the stuff that belongs to me. And Jesus began to address the man and then he uses the word fool. Now, some of the stories I'm going to be at least illustrating or talking about might have a ring of familiarity. If you've been to men's conference in 2008, I looked around, I don't see lots of 2008 people. And if you've been to Northbrook around that time as well, I doubt you remember most of it. But there's an element in this story that has to come to mind, especially when you are unemployed. All right? So I had other things I needed to say this morning, but I thought this might be appropriate for us to keep in mind. And here, Jesus tells a story. So the best thing to do is to read the passage. So we're going to read together Luke chapter 12. We're going to read from verse 12 to verse, uh, from verse 13 to verse 32. Here the word fool is used. I don't know whether this translation uses fool, but the translation that I have, New King James, says fool. Okay. <clears throat> so let's read together. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. So someone came to Jesus and said, teacher, there were a lot of people in the crowd. So that means there were a lot of people surrounding Jesus. So he got Jesus' attention and said, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Are we there? But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you. Keep going. Now, notice that the man asked him that he should tell his brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus merely said to the man who appointed me a judge over you. That's all he said to the man. And then he turned away from the man and then spoke to the crowd. In other words, that's how he answered the man and then began to speak to the crowd. Then he said to them, that means the crowd, beware, a warning, and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I like the New King James better where it says a man's life 
does not consist in the abundance of what he has. So he said, beware. He was telling everybody in the crowd, be warned. It's almost like neon light. Beware. And be on guard. Be on guard against all forms of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my bands and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. In other words, you have security. I, I see the future looks good, soul, so you need to relax. He said, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice the but. But God said to him, that's where the fool comes in. You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So, now the message is now to everybody. So, is the man, so is the same thing for the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now notice, there's a transition here in this passage and I want you to notice it. So this, what we read now, Jesus was addressing the crowd. The man came to him, asked him a question and Jesus addressed the man with only one answer, and then he turned to everybody else and gave the parable. But now notice there's a transition in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, now the message is for the disciples. For this reason, because of this, I say to you, do not worry about your life. As to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Then he asked, if God, if then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? 
And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek. He's saying that most people, this is what they live for. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. That's the toil for this. But your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things. Then he tells you what you should focus your energy on if you want to. But seek his kingdom. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. All right. So we've read the passage. And then we can share a few thoughts on this passage. And then we will close this morning. So Jesus addresses three main groups of people. The man, the crowd, and the disciples. <coughs> From what we read. The man, he addresses him in verse 14a. <coughs> the crowd, verse 14b to verse 21. The disciples from verse 22 to 34. <coughs> and, excuse me, I need to drink this water. My throat is doing... Needs help. <coughs> and what does he say to the man that comes to him? He didn't say, okay, I'm going to get your brother. I'm going to talk to your brother. And he's going to give you the inheritance. Did he say that? Or he didn't say, okay, where's your brother? Let's have a discussion. He didn't do that. He said, who made me a judge over you? He didn't seem to consider the request terribly important. Friend, I have to tell you that the Lord is not overly concerned with inheritances and possessions, material things. The things that tend to bog us uh, you know, that give us so much heartache. In fact, you can see later on, he says, God will take care of these things for you. That's what he said when he told the disciples. He said, don't worry. God will take care of these things. So these are the things that makes us to, you know, the way we rate people, the great people. I mean, if I mention the name Bill Gates, your eyes, you know, go like this. Bill, yeah. Or if I mention some other great man in the world, the things that comes to your mind is he owns this, he owns that. Uh, and so we have, for example, preachers that spend most of their time talking about owning this and owning that, that the Lord wants to make you own this, own that, own this, own that. The Lord Jesus didn't spend time discussing the issue because he knows God will take care of you as a person. It wasn't the main objective of his mission. But then he turns to the crowd and says, be on guard. He said, be on guard against what? Greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he has. We get carried away by thinking that your value is determined by what you own. Or those who own much have more life. Let me say this. A man's life consists in the relationship he has with the Lord. A vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ is what brings life. Not in the material things that the Lord blesses you with. And then he gives a parable of this uh, 
whom he calls fool, and notice that the Lord doesn't condemn him for being resourceful, for getting all kinds of stuff. But if you read that passage carefully, the way he gives the parable, you will notice something is repeated many times. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I'll say to myself. The man didn't even talk to anybody, but he was within himself. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. And I will say to myself, after I've built my bands, you have many years to enjoy. In all the conversation concerning whatever God blessed him with, he never mentioned God. Did you notice that? He never mentioned others. It was all about him. Because greed focuses on only one object. It's about who? Me. 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 And so the Lord said, be warned. And let me say this. Some people say, you know, I'm not greedy. I don't even have anything to be greedy about. Greed has nothing to do with what you have or don't have. It's an attitude. You can be as poor as a pauper and yet very greedy. And you can be as rich as, okay, let's say Solomon. And they are giving out very generous and not greedy. So it has nothing to do with what you own or don't own is the attitude. I say, be on guard against this. Don't think that what I own defines me. That's what Jesus is saying. Let God alone be the focus or the center of your life. And of course, he called the man the fool. And then he, he wrapped up in that verse where he says, So it is with everyone who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards what? God. In other words, we need to be rich in our relationship with God. We need to have a vibrant, ongoing relationship with God. That's what the Lord expects. That's what it means, you know, to succeed. And that's why when I read that success or mission statement from Phil, he says, I will consider myself a success when I have an ongoing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. That assumes, though, that you have left the gate and then you have a relationship in the first place by being born again. Okay. So the first warning is that don't be greedy or be on guard. Watch out for greed where you're only looking out for yourself and you're not looking out for any other person or for God. But then he turns around and then he warns the disciples. What did he warn them about? Don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Do you notice that? Then he tells them, God will take care of you. You see, the message is relevant to me because, like I said, I don't have a job. And I can sit down and say, how are my kids going to eat? Am I going to take care of my wife? Oh, what is going to happen? And then I can, can sit down and worry about these things. But the blessing is that don't. The Lord will take care of you. He says, consider the birds. Consider the flowers. God takes care of them. He said, you are much more valuable than these things. 
He says, when you worry, all you end up doing is what? Getting sick, getting worn out, and you know, losing your peace. And then you lose focus because worry is concerned about what will happen or what has happened. And always a, the concern is, I think negative things are going to happen. I think uh, whatever is going to happen is going to overwhelm me. And again, worry, what it does is that it takes God out of the picture and places us as the controllers and the directors of the affairs of our lives. And he says, don't. So don't be greedy. Don't be worry. It seems very simple. When you worry, you take God out. When you are greedy, God doesn't exist. You cannot be rich towards God under both circumstances. So in both circumstances, you need to place God at the center. Uh, at least you need to replace them by placing God at the center. Did you get that? I have a long note that I can't really read, you know, but I don't want to do that because I know it's hot, it's summer, and we want to keep it short. So all of us are prone to these attitudes. It's not restricted to the baby Christian and to the one that is not yet grown. Every one of us is, from the smallest to the biggest. And that's why we need to ask God for grace not to fall into this trap. A man's life does not consist in what he has, but in who he has. And when you have the Lord, you have more than you need. And so keep in mind, we are God's children, and he has promised to take care of us, to look after us. So, that's the message that is being preached. I remember them speaking on some of these things uh, many years ago, and um, I gave a story, and then some, one of my friends was in a Christian meeting, was very upset. I said, what kind of nonsense is this? I said, well, it is true. The Lord Jesus wants us not to worry and not to get lost in being greedy. He was very upset with this. But I'd like to tell you a story as I wrap up. A number of years ago, there was a popular program called The Goldbergs. Does anybody remember? I, I, don't, I didn't watch the TV, so I don't know, but the story is there. So in one epi episode, Jake Goldberg came home from supper and excitedly told his wife, Molly, about a great idea he had. He wanted to go into business. Molly had some money put away. Anticipating just such a thing, she gave it to him. As they sat at the table, enthusiastically discussing the future, Jake said, Molly, someday we'll be eating off of golden plates. You know, when the ship comes home. <laughs> Molly, the wife, looked at him and replied, Honey, darling, will the food taste any better?
And sometimes that's where we think the golden plates will make things change. They don't. What makes things change is a relationship and an ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning, it's 12 o'clock, be warned because Jesus said we should be on guard against greed. And he also says don't worry. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to all of us. And so we should take it to heart as we continue in our work. On that theme, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you grant us the grace to lean on you and to be rich in our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, standing as you are able, let's sing together in Christ alone. My hope is found.